Asia Pacific Currents. News and labor issues from the Asia Pacific region. We strongly condemn the, the police that arrest、uh, the protesters. Saturday mornings at nine o'clock on Community Radio 3CR. Workers of the world should unite to fight this greedy capitalist. Brought to you by Australia Asia Worker Week. Good morning and welcome to Asia Pacific Currents this Saturday, the twentieth of、uh, March. You're listening to Community Radio 3CR. I'm Giselle Hanna, and I'm Pierre Morrow. It's great to be with you、um, once again, and thanks for so there's breakfast for another very interesting、uh, program. And of course, you're listening to 3CR Radio, your favourite community radio station, on this、uh, lovely sunny、uh, autumn morning here on.、Uh, Uh, in Melbourne, and of course,、uh, Asia Pacific Currents is brought to you every week by Australia Asia Worker Links. That's right. And the、uh, to get in touch with us, you can find us on the web or the w's dot a a w l dot org dot a u. We're on Facebook and Twitter, so look us up on those social media platforms as well. And yes, we are. You know, there is the imminent return of our mini news, but not quite yet, Pierre. But I think in the next month or so. So if you want to get, if you want to go on that mailing. List, please send us an email to aawl at aawl.org.au, and we'll put you on that mailing list. That's right. That's right. Hopefully, I might have a meeting tomorrow to discuss、uh, that further. So、um, that'll be great. And of course, on today's、um, roundup of news, there's the usual、um, roundup of labour issues from the region. And in the second half of the program, we'll have a、um, an interview with Lee Tan over a very, very long-running dispute in Malaysia. Isn't that right, Giselle? That's right. It's、uh, well, where the dispute is at. It's at Linus, which is a、um, rare earths. Um, mining company,、um, and the dispute is currently located in a, an environmental kind of an issue in relation to the dumping of toxic waste in.、Um, So natural lands where people fish and、um, that supplies water to a community, but of course there are a, a long string of industrial issues at that plant as well. But、um, it has reached international proportions because, of course,、um, the rare、um, earth minerals come from Australia、um, and have implications for the.、Uh, I know we want to stay away from this sort of right now because our analysis is a bit shallow, but the、uh, global war that is on our front doorstep. Oh no, we could、uh, go very deep if you really want to. It's just if we ever get out of the depths, that's、yeah. all. <laughs> and half an hour is probably not enough time between news from around the region and the feature interview. Probably not a lot of time to discuss、that's、the、right. um, politics and have a proper analysis of the war. Yep, yep, yep. All right, we'll go to the labour news roundup of the of the week. And unfortunately, Myanmar keeps、uh, topping、uh, our our list、uh, for the last.、Uh, Many weeks now. It's been、uh, since it's been seven weeks since the military staged a coup in Myanmar, but actions and demonstrations are continuing throughout the country, notwithstanding the brutal repression that has killed almost two hundred people and led to thousands being arrested so far. 
workers across sectors like the railways, public servants, the garment, health, education and financial sectors have all been taking industrial actions wherever possible. There are now increasing reports that the economy of Myanmar has been severely affected by these strikes with shortages and queues starting to appear. In a new, uh, more recent development, a number of the ethnic groups, such as the Kachin, Shan and Karen, have uh, stated that um, they will actively fight against a military coup for the goal of a new federalist structure. And they quite uh, plainly said not for uh, Aung San Suu Kyi. So that will be an interesting development to watch as well. And the ongoing global catastrophe that is Yemen. Um, scores of migrant workers have been killed in a fire in that country. This, the civil war in Yemen that has raged in the country since 2014 has killed hundreds of thousands of people with millions of people facing starvation and pandemics. Notwithstanding this devastation, the country is still a transit route for migrant workers from East Africa as they try to reach the wealthier Arab Gulf countries. This journey is incredibly dangerous as many migrants die en route or remain trapped in Yemen. Last Sunday, a fire erupted at a major migrant detention centre in the city of Sa'ana that killed at least 25 migrant workers and left up to 200 injured. The fire broke out after the Hutu authorities stormed the building in an attempt to stop an ongoing protest by the detainees against the harsh conditions in that centre. I mean, you sort of, uh, when I was researching that story, you think you really need to be desperate to think that you'd want to cross Yemen to get to somewhere else. Um, it just shows you the desperation for a lot of um, workers. Indeed. We now go to India, where on, on a more of a, of a positive uh, um, news about a strike action. On Monday of this week, over a million bank workers throughout India staged a two-day strike against privatisation. The strike was called by the United Forum of Bank Unions, UFBU, an umbrella body of nine bank unions. A total of another 84 trade unions then joined bank workers in the strike. The um, Narendra Modi-led central government has already merged 14 public sector banks in just the past four years and is seeking to open up the sector to more private firms. And that's why there was such a a huge strike. It is um, estimated that up to 70% of people in India still have a bank account in a government bank as uh, people regard them as more trustworthy, more secure and offer loans at lower interest rates than those of private banks. While the strike received a lot of public support, the government has said that it will continue with its privatisation agenda. And moving to Syria, March marks 10 years since the start of the Syrian uprising. Um, it, it was a part, the uprising in Syria was a part of a series of re- regional revolts that spanned North Africa and West Asia, protesting against repression, exploitation and corruption, probably most commonly known as the Arab Spring. What began as peaceful mass demonstrations quickly turned into armed confrontations as the protesters had to contend with ever-increasing government repression. The uprising developed into a civil war that subsequently attracted the involvement of a number of regional states and other military forces and actually international forces like the CIA. 
Well, this turned the Syrian conflict into a proxy war among contending powers. After 10 years of war, the country's been left devastated with over half a million dead and over 12 million people either internally displaced or refugees living abroad. The economic situation is disastrous, with an estimated 80% of the population currently in Syria now living in poverty. And you know this links to the other issue that we were talking about in relation to potentially a war with China, though we didn't directly say that. Um, but uh, the left has retreated so, so much that it is almost impossible now to talk about a worker's position on war, which is basically to stop war, to end conflict, to end those provocations. Um, but we can't even say that. And I think nationalism has taken hold and we're in a similar position to where the um, – first international wars in relation to the First World War. Which you're talking about the early 1900s <laughs> Indeed. for some of our younger yes, yes. viewers. <laughs> that's right. Listeners. History, my friend, history. Th- that's right, that's right. Although I do have to say that I did read, read a report that in the the town of Dara, or Dara in Syria, which was actually the town where the uprising first started, there was actually a protest of a few hundred people to commemorate the 10th anniversary of the uprising. Right. So um, I think it's quite amazing that after 10 years of war, uh, so many killings, people would actually... There's space for commemoration versus just ongoing struggle and battle. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not even just space. I I think even going out onto the street and knowing full well there's probably three or four different armed groups around that would just shoot you Mm. and no one would really know. But anyway, so... Um, Braver than we are, Pierre. That's, that's exactly right. Um, the, the, the next one goes, um, is in Bangladesh where it's another workers' action which unfortunately um, didn't end so well. On Tuesday of this week, over a 1,000 workers of the Apparel Stitch Limited and Stitchwell Designs factories, both owned by the Patriot Group, staged a demonstration in the Tejgaon industrial area of Dhaka the capital of Bangladesh, demanding the payment of four months of wage arrears. The factories uh, closed recently, um, but workers um, said that uh, not all the wages had been paid in full. The workers' numbers were quickly swelled by workers of nearby garment factories, as the non-payment of wages is a common occurrence in uh, Bangladesh among garment workers. Unfortunately, the police then initiated a number of charges against the demonstrators, employing wooden batons, rubber bullets, tear gas, and eventually live bullets. By the end of the day, eight workers had to be treated for bullet wounds with an unspecified number suffering other injuries. And I think, Giselle, this really brings to the point that... um, you know, often uh, you know the mass media talks about garment workers, you know, working for very low wages, and it makes them seem like they're a mass of very um, victims and all that. But in reality, you know, over the years we've brought you incredible actions, strikes, demonstrations by garment workers in Bangladesh and other countries. And it, it also the brutality against these workers also demonstrates just how necessary it is for capital capitalism. This systemic um, economic system to abs- to squash dissent in certain parts of the world. So, you know, for those of us living in these supposed liberal democracies who say, oh, 
capitalism's not so bad, it, you know, it's better than blah, blah, blah. Um, actually, you, you can't just measure that from where you are. You actually need to look at the distribution of, um, of, repression. of repression across the world. Although exactly. our, our, our Prime Minister for the people who might be listening internationally just last week actually reminded us Indeed. Uh, the fact that we're lucky because we don't get shot in the streets, which I can only uh, take it to mean that if you don't, be careful and toe the line, eventually the same will happen here. Indeed. Our final story today is um, the launching of an historic lawsuit by the wife of a dead, sh- a dead ship breaker. The shipbreaking yards of Southern Asia, we've brought you many stories of the devastation in these shipbreaking yards. They're very popular among ship owners of the world as they offer the lowest cost in relation to dismantling ships. For workers, this means working long hours for starvation wages in toxic and unsafe environments where unions are oppressed and injuries and deaths are common occurrences. This week, Hamida Begum was given the green light to mount a compensation claim against the London-based shipbroker Moran over the death of her husband Khalid Mola in Chotogram, Bangladesh in 2018. Human and labour rights activists see this case as a massive opportunity to not only win compensation for families, but also to force companies to raise their health and safety standards at these shipyards in South Asia. And obviously not just in Bangladesh, we see them in Pakistan and India and and right across um, South Asia. Yes, and that's another area where there's been huge struggles and and repression. So that's the end of the um, news roundup for this week from the Asia-Pacific region. We'll be back next week with another news roundup. We'll go to a couple of announcements and we'll be back with Lee Tan to talk about the leanest dispute in Malaysia straight after these community announcements. There are many ways that you can keep up to date with 3CR news, events and programs. With Facebook stripping content, it's a timely reminder to focus on the communication channels and platforms that the community controls. The 3CR website is a great spot to catch all your shows via audio on demand or scroll through our range of podcasts. It's also where you can sign up to our monthly newsletter, buy yourself a new t-shirt or check out archival audio from past broadcasts. Of course, we're also on Twitter at 3CR and Instagram at 3CR Melbourne. But don't forget our mighty AM band. Catch us anytime on 855 AM. Keep in touch. 3cr.org.au Hi. I'm Jacob from a Friday Rave, and I'm also on 3CR's Committee of Management. Now, the community of passionate people that founded 3CR a long time ago made some tough decisions. For a start, they committed themselves and a growing community of listeners to back their vision of owning our station and, in doing so, remaining independent of the government and corporate influence. They did this by fundraising, brick by brick, with working bees, door knocks, on-air drives and all the rest of it. You've all been there. Now, their commitment has kept 3CR on air for over 40 years. That's a long time even in my life. But now we need your commitment to keep this great thing going. Now, you can subscribe online at 3cr.org.au 
or phone us at the station on 9419 8377 or even stop me on the bloody street if you see me at some rally or other and ask me for a membership form. You need to become a member of Melbourne Radical Radio and subscribe. Sixteen minutes past nine o'clock here on Community Radio 3CR. You're listening to Asia Pacific Currents with Giselle and Pierre. Our guest on the show this morning is Lee Tan. She currently works for AidWatch in Australia, but Lee is a long-standing internationalist and international activist and a former project coordinator in Australia Asia WorkerLinks. Welcome to the show, Lee. Yes, thank you. Um, yeah, it's good to be here. Yeah, good to hear your voice again after many, many years. <laughs> but you've been um, plugging away at a very, very important campaign uh, in relation to the company Linus in um, Malaysia. Tell us what's going on. I mean, we've explained to the listeners already that the dispute currently is about um, the dumping of toxic waste in um, some waters and some traditional lands. Yes, um, yep. Several months ago, Linus submitted its um, environmental impact assessment to the Malaysian government. And since late January, it has kind of opened up for public uh, viewing, not consultation, viewing, where members of the public in Malaysia um, can go visit the office of um, the Department of Environment one in Kuala Lumpur and another one in Kuantan to look at is, um, uh, you know, like huge volume, uh, a total of 1,000 pages of um, technical documents, you know, explaining why it is actually safe and good to allow over 1 million cubic metres um, to, to of uh, radioactive waste that's also contaminated with um, toxic heavy metals, um, in a forest reserve not far from the city of Kuantan. And that's my hometown, and that's why I have persistently, uh, you know, persistently since 2011 campaigning against this particular um, rare earth operation um, and also, you know, advocating for the ways to be removed as the company Linus has given legal undertakings to do so, and it was also in the original license condition. So, yeah, that's what this is about. And the closing date for public viewing um, ended yesterday, um, and that's like seven weeks uh, for the government to decide, you know, to build this huge, mega-toxic radioactive waste dump. When in Australia, we have spent like three decades um, to stop the Australian government from building, you know, setting up a um, industrial um, radioactive waste dump uh, without much success. So it goes to show, you know, the, the so-called lack of democratic space in Malaysia, um, even on issues like radioactive waste dump. 
Um, Lee, hope this is Pierre. It's good to hear your voice again. The, um, Hi, Pierre. Yes. Um, from my memory, you said it's been going for 2011 because I do remember that this issue yeah. has been fought and has been uh, on the agenda for many years. So yeah. ha- has the process of application been going for the last 10 years? Like, Has anything been built so far? No, no, no. The waste, um, the radioactive waste has, has mainly been just dumped by the side of the plant on a dam, like really shallow dam, and open. Um, the line has nearly cover up the radioactive waste with some, um, you know, garbage black uh, bag, plastic, plastic sheets. Um, so it's a pretty appalling waste. Um, storage and that's temporarily. So now they're looking, they're running out of space firstly, and they're looking for a permanent um, uh, disposal facility or waste dump. Um, it's also in its operating license um, as condition to find a location, well, supposedly by January of this year, but um, it hasn't actually moved very far. As you know, you know, from um, watching Malaysia's politics, um, there was a coup in in the government and uh, the previously popularly elected government is no longer in power. So, you know, everything is in a mess and this is just one of the many. Uh, yes, I was going to um, talk about the Malaysia political mm. situation in a little while, but just for our listeners, so mm. and just so I, I get the facts straight as well. Sure. So Linus is actually taking uh, material from Australia and other countries for reprocessing and, and dumping it in Malaysia at the present moment, waiting for this plant to be built. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Um yeah, Linus is a rare earth um, uh, mining company. It it has a mine in uh, Mount Weld in Western Australia, and it con- what it does is it is it mines and um, concentrates the rare earth ore and uh, ship them to Malaysia to Kuantan specifically um, to the secondary processing plant to do the most um, hazardous part of the processing, which involves um, the use of huge amount of acid and, um, and leave behind the most toxic um, yeah, waste, both in terms of air pollution, uh, water, and also solid waste or sludge in this case. Mm-hmm. Um, if if um, you have seen on uh, you know in some of the photos that I posted in social media, this basically massive you know high uh, piles of waste lying around in um, in around this plant. And I would I would assume that um, a bit like in Australia, um, the government and the, the companies uh, would say these are all good job for for workers, and they would try to to split the communities um, among saying yes, it might be a little bit hazardous, but at least it's it's money for the community and jobs. Is am I right in assuming that's part oh, of the absolutely. offensive? Absolutely. They have not only to play that, but they play that real, really hard 
because um, workers in Malaysia <clears throat> are not unionized, as you know, um, and they the understanding of um, occupational health and hazards, particularly in this case, radioactive health and um, uh, radioactive hazard and safety issues. Um, you know, they're getting paid much higher than other industries, so they're very happy to work at the Linus plant. Added to that is the role of the Islamic Party, uh, or PAS. Um, in the past, the Islamic Party was t- very strongly objecting to the Linus uh, plant. Can I, then, can I just interrupt you there, just for yes. people who might not know? So Kuantan okay. is on the northeast side of Peninsula Malaysia, where it's actually one of the um, areas where past the Islamic Party is actually the strongest in Malaysia. Yeah, that's right. Um, exactly. And so what happened is somewhere um, past got bought over by UMNO. Uh, UMNO is the... Uh, you know, it's been traditionally the ruling Malay party. And since then, it has changed its position on Linus to support it. And Linus has very craftily um, and cunningly, you know, made sure they hired many of the past supporters, particularly the leader. So now, past has turned its position by supporting Linus and using his political clout to, um, yeah, basically, you know, to put pressure on um, the activists. Um, although we had, we, the, the protest movement was very strong, in fact, it was, it was the strongest ever in the, the Malaysian history, insofar as um, environmental issues is concerned. But people are now scared because of, um, you know, firstly, because the government imposed um, uh, an emergency uh, in the pretext of uh, fighting or stopping the spread of um, COVID-19. And uh, on the other hand, you know, this current government is tightening uh, on, on social media, on freedom of speech, um, you know, intimidating activists and so on and so forth. So it has been a really difficult um, period in the last year and a half um, in campaigning. And um, that you know, also, unfortunately, included the whole Linus campaign. And we are at a critical juncture now when a waste dump is proposed. And if it is approved, potentially the quantum drinking water um, will be um, contaminated down the, line, down, down, yeah, down the line. And it makes it harder for us to pressure the government to compel Linus to remove its radioactive waste, which it has given the legal undertaking to do so. As uh, we've only got a couple of minutes, uh, Lee. Sure. So, just a final question. Obviously, mm-hmm. these are big issues, uh, huge global companies. Um, do you have good links to, say, Australian activists and other activists around the the yes. region? Yes, absolutely. Um, we are now trying to go more international. Right from the beginning, we have had um, links with Friends of the Earth um, and also the WA Conservation Council. Um, and recently, I've kind of also um, worked with Eight Watch, which has um, a fairly wide network, uh, both in Australia and overseas. 
Um, and and further further on in um, this year, um, whether or not you know the dump goes ahead, we will be lodging a complaint against liners through the Australian National Contact Point, which is supposedly in charge of the OECD guidelines for corporations. You know, of course, we know about the appointment of um, Matthias Corman as the Director General or Secretary General um, recently, and that may well, you know, um, add another layer of uh, barrier. But nevertheless, um, there is an OECD watch uh, movement or uh, yeah, in, in Europe particularly. Um, so we won't back down and we will continue to try and raise the profile of this campaign to highlight the fact that even though Linus has pitched itself as a green um, company, uh, we want to expose you know, the truth behind that greenwashing. Um, we agree that uh, it is important to have transitional technology that is low emission and low carbon, but we we have to continue to also emphasize um, the supply chain for this kind of transition economy. Uh, um, uh, right, right, sorry, Lee, we really we really have we really have to go. Sorry about okay. About no that. Problem. Thank you very much, yeah. and we'll post some more information on our sure. website and Facebook page. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> all right. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye. Bye. All the best. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.